Well, last Sunday and this Sunday, we're pondering two uh, spiritual disciplines. Last week was on prayer, and this week is meditating on God's Word. And why are we talking about spiritual disciplines? Well, new year's just begun, 2024, and a new year means a new you, right? And uh, with a new year, we often think about new habits to build, goals to aim at over the course of the next year. And with that in mind, I have a goal for us to aim at, a habit to build into our lives. And here's the habit. Spend 20 minutes a day meditating on the Word of God. Spend 20 minutes a day meditating on the Word of God. Now, for some of you, that may sound like no time, and for some of you, that may sound like a lot of time. I don't know where you're at, and if you're already doing this, then you can just increase that time. And if you're not, here's my encouragement uh, habit to build into your life, is 20 minutes a day dwelling on the Word of God. And my goal is to convince you that to spend more time in God's Word this year than last year, and not just simply reading it, as we'll get to the difference here, but actually dwelling on it. And how, how do I want to convince you? Well, I want to start by uh, just sharing some benefits uh, that come from meditating on God's Word from Psalm chapter 1. Psalm, Psalm chapter 1 is rich with content about the benefit of meditating on the Word of God. And the Psalm 1, the author is contrasting uh, two ways of life, two paths that we can go down. There's one of two paths we will go down in life. It's a path of the wicked or the way of the righteous. And the Psalm contrast these two paths and two ways of living, uh, and what you will find is that there's one primary difference that leads to a very different outcome of life. And what is that difference? Well, it's what a person does with God's word. It's how a person responds to God's instruction. And what does the righteous one do with God's word? Well, the righteous person centers their life on the word of God, that the word of God is central to the life of the person who walks down the path of the righteous. And as a result, this one experiences many benefits and blessings. And so how does this person center their life on God's word? Well, one key way in which we do that is through meditating on the word of God. It's by meditating on the word of God. Verse one, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. What is central to the way of the righteous is God's instruction, his word. It's meditating on God's word. And as a result, what we discover is that person's life is dramatically different, strikingly different from the life of the wicked. And before we can get to those differences, the benefits of meditating on God's word, we need to be clear on what we mean or what I mean by meditation. Why? Well, because meditation in our culture is quite popular. Uh, There are many podcasts, there are many books and articles, blogs, talking about the benefits of meditation. In fact, just the other week, I was watching the college football playoffs, Michigan uh, and Bama, Alabama. Before the game, the network was spotlighting uh, players from either team. And one of the players that was spotlighted was the quarterback of Michigan, J.J. McCarthy. And in his spotlight, they showed how before every game, J.J. would take his shoes off and he'd go sit next to the goalposts and he would meditate. Now, by meditate... They meant he would clear his mind and concentrate on his breathing. But this type of meditation is quite different from biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is not about emptying our minds and focusing on our breathing or whatever else. Rather, biblical meditation is about filling our minds. It's about filling our minds with truth, which comes from God's word. The truth is something outside of us. 
and where truth is found is in the word of God. And so biblical meditation is about dwelling on that truth. In fact, Paul in Philippians 4 speaks about meditation. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if, commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Ponder these things. Think deeply about these things. Donald Whitney describes biblical meditation as deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture. Deep thinking, deep thinking on the truths and the spiritual realities revealed in Scripture. It's the mulling over, the dwelling on, thinking deeply about God's Word. And when you do, you will position yourself to receive many benefits and the blessings of God. I think of meditation in one sense like steeping tea. I got some tea right here, as you can Maybe tell I sound a little bit uh, congested, picked up a cold this week, thought I beat it, but no, got back from vacation and definitely picked it up like everybody else. And so steeping tea, it's good for drinking when you got uh, some illnesses, you put a tea bag in some water and what happens? That water or that bag sits in the water and the contents of the tea come out. <clears throat> the benefits of the tea come out and you drink the tea water receiving those benefits. That biblical meditation is similar that as you meditate on God's word, you sit in God's word, you steep on God's word, you begin to experience the benefit and blessing of God's word. And what are those benefits? What are the benefits of meditating on God's word? Why should we give ourselves to it? Well, there's five from Psalm chapter one. There's many, but here's five uh, this morning. The first is this, is happiness. Happiness. Do you want to be happy? You want to be happy. As people, we want happiness, we want contentment, we want to be satisfied. We want to be fulfilled. And in an attempt to have that, to find happiness, we do all kinds of things. Like we take trips and we buy things, things that are fine to do. We make more money to buy more things. We eat delicious foods. We also do bad things like we get drunk or people do drugs or they sleep around. We work hard to be famous, hard to be liked by certain people. We get married or we stay single. We have kids, but not too many kids. We do all kinds of things. Pursue all sorts of things in order to be happy. In fact, so much of what uh, we do is driven by that pursuit. It's driven by contentment, satisfaction. And as we know, happiness is not found in things. Uh, it's not found in these experiences. Those things in your experiences may not be bad in themselves, but they will not actually bring you true, deep happiness, contentment. Rather, happiness is found in walking with God. Uh, Psalm 1 opens up by saying, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Does not walk with the wicked, stand with the sinners, sit with mockers. The person who is happy is described as one who in essence is not doing what? Not walking in sin. They're not rejecting God's word. Rather, they're rejecting sin and evil from their life, not pursuing it which means they're doing what? They're walking with God, living in obedience to God, heeding his counsel and direction for their life. In fact, the Hebrew word for happy comes from a word that means to go straight, go forward, advance, to set right. In other words, the happy person is the one who walks right or straight with God. But notice then verse two. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. That the psalmist connects happiness to meditating on God's instruction, to meditating on the word of God. Now, how does meditation lead to happiness? What, what's the connection there? Well, Joshua 1.8 helps bridge that gap, this, understand this connection. Verse 8, 
this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Why did God instruct Joshua to meditate on his word day and night? Well, so that he would walk in obedience to it, so that he would be careful to observe or to obey everything in it, that, so that God's instruction would not depart from him. And so meditation on God's word positions you to obey God. It's a bridge, uh, it's a, it's a, it is a bridge to obedience to the Lord. Why or how? Well, because what you think about or what shapes your thinking will shape your life. What shapes your thinking will shape your life. In other words, the more you think about something, the more it impacts how you live. Commentator uh, Derek Kidner, he writes this of Psalm 1. He says, the mind was the first bastion to defend in verse 1 and is treated as the key to the whole man. Whatever really shapes a man's thinking shapes his life. In other words, as uh, Stephen Hubbard put it, capture the mind and capture the man. Capture the mind, capture the man. That whatever shapes a man's thinking shapes his life. Think about it. What your mind is given to is what your life begins to be given to. If you dwell on a hurt that someone has committed against you, what happens? You, you just think constantly about what that person did, how they offended you, the pain that it's caused you, what you have lost as a result. What do you want? You want to pay them back. You want them to feel your pain. And so you pursue doing just that. You give them maybe the cold shoulder or you maybe slander them in a conversation to another person or you're unkind to them or far worse, you just physically hurt them. Why? Well, because what shapes, what you think about shapes your life. What you dwell on shapes your behavior. And we find this principle in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul instructs us to be transformed, to live differently, to live like Christ. But how does that transformation happen? Through the renewing of your mind. But how is your mind renewed? Well, at least in part through the word of God. Through the word of God. Through meditating on, dwelling on the instruction of the Lord. And when you meditate on God's word, when God's word then dwells richly in you, this is what you will act on. And when you act on God's word or walk in obedience to him, you will be happy. Because happiness, contentment, satisfaction is found in walking with God, in obeying God. Why? Well, in part because you're living in accordance with your design. You were designed to be in relationship with God. We were designed to walk in obedience to God. And it's when we step outside of that design or we sin, we experience not happiness and rather discontentment. But when we're walking with God in obedience to God, we experience what we ought to experience, which is happiness and satisfaction. So the first benefit is happiness. Meditating on God's word will position you to obey God, which will produce happiness in your life. The second word is delight. Well, delight, delight specifically in God's word. And what does it mean to delight in something? Well, to delight in something is to take great pleasure in that thing, in something. You enjoy it. You find joy in it. You find it to be pleasurable to you. We just had Christmas, and uh, Christmas took place, and we give presents and receive presents. We're opening presents, and I'm sure for many of you that was a delight. It was a delight, something you enjoyed, opening gifts, or maybe giving gifts to your children. 
Uh, this Christmas, my, uh, <clears throat> usually my wife and I, we don't get each other anything. We just get stuff for our kids, and then maybe we'll go out shopping together or do something uh, together. But this year, uh, I broke the, the rule, and I got something for my wife. And my <clears throat> I was out of town on vacation, and my mom texted me, and she's like, uh, there's this necklace and uh, it, your wife wants, and it's been on, it's significantly come down in price. And she's like, do you want me to get it for you? And I said, uh, sure, yes, get that. And so on Christmas morning, my kids are opening presents, and they're, they're delighting in the gifts that they've gotten. And I tell my, my daughter, Wendy, I say, go get the, this present for mom. You know, before uh, the present, or before we, we got it, uh, before I told my kids, uh, we're getting mom a present. Now, don't tell mom, which there's obviously a risk in that when you have six kids. You're like, there's a chance that somebody is going to spill the beans, right? Is it the four-year-old or the 15-year-old? Who's going who's gonna to spill the beans? And thankfully, no one did. And so, Winley, on that Christmas morning, she went and she got the gift and she gives it to my wife. And my wife's eyes just kind of like light up. She's like, what's going on? Because we don't get gifts for one another. And she opens up the package and she, 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 sees, she sees this necklace that she's really wanted. And her eyes just light up. And there's such delight and joy in giving somebody a gift, something especially you know that they want. that You delight in it, you enjoy it. And delight is a second element to it. To delight in something means that it's not a burden to you, that it doesn't weigh you down. You don't drag your feet to do it. It wasn't a burden for me to uh, get this for my wife, in part because my mom got it for my wife. <laughs> I paid her back. <laughs> But in my, my, my heart of hearts, okay, it was not a burden to me. <laughs> and even more so when I saw her open it. It's something you want to do. And see, this is to be our attitude with God's word. The author says, no, instead, his delight. He, he, the righteous man does not delight in sin. The righteous man delights in the Lord's instruction. He delights in the word of God. That God's word is the object of his delight. He enjoys it, finds pleasure in it, loves it. It's not a burden to him. In fact, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 5, 3, and this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are what? Not a burden. How many of you right now, when you think about the word of God and spending time in God's word, you think, feels like a burden? Feels like, ah, I know I should, I don't really want to do it. Many of us, Many of us are in that boat. Many of us feel that, whether we've been walking with the Lord for a long time or not, we can feel those moments where God's word feels more like a burden than a delight, but the author says it's not a burden, it's actually a delight. The psalmist, Psalm 19, verse 10 says, they're more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. I don't know, how many of you ever had honey off of a honeycomb? None of you? Okay, one of you. It's good. Uh, up the street here uh, at a coffee shop, the guy that owns a shop, he makes his own, or has his own bees, and he brings in his own honey, and he brings honey on the comb. And I've gotten some honey on the comb before, and you just suck on it and chew it. It's kind of weird, but it is so sweet. It is so good. And you want more. That's the image of what, how our heart is to be towards God's word, that we're to delight in it and to want it, so how do we grow our delight for God's word? How do we grow our desire for God's word? Well, one way is through meditating on God's word. It's sitting and steeping in and thinking about the truths that are revealed in scripture. You're meditating on it. Uh, one illustration uh, I picked up in reading some, some time ago is just this idea of warming ourselves by a fire. This is the idea of meditation. 
Uh, in a few days, it's going to be pretty cold here. I think highs in the teens, lows in the negatives. Yay, it's in Iowa weather. Uh, so excited for that. And I was hoping we'd miss it this year, but apparently not. And it's going to be cold, and there's going to be snow, and you're going to be outside probably shoveling, and you're going to get cold. And what happens, you come inside, and say you have a fire inside, and you go sit next to the fireplace. And you're sitting next to the fireplace, what happens, you begin to warm up. You feel that warmth penetrate your body. And see, this is the idea with God's word and meditating on God's word, that God's word, it warms your soul. You begin to feel, feel that the word of God is sweet and awesome. And it becomes sweet and awesome. It, it warms your soul by reminding you of what is true, that when we meditate on God's word, we're reminding ourselves of what is true, of what he has done for us. And this is one of the goals and the outcomes of meditation is delight in the word of God. It's having an affection for God, a yearning for God. That meditating on God's word is chewing on the truth of God's word until we begin to feel its effects on our heart, until we begin to delight in the scriptures. And as we do so, not only will we delight in God's word, but we will desire God's word. That when you taste the sweetness of the word of God, or you taste the sweetness of the honey, you want more of it. And likewise, you want more of God's word, of more of his instruction. And the person who walks in obedience to God yearns for God. And the person who yearns for God does so in part because they have dwelled deeply on the truths revealed by God. They have meditated on who God is and what God has done for them. And so meditation, it will position you to delight in, to have a desire for, a yearning for God's word. Number three is stability. Stability. Biblical meditation, and again, it's necessary for sending our lives on the word of God to conform ourselves to his way. Because meditation on God's word positions us to obey God. And as a result, there's a number of things that are produced. And one of those is stability. Stability. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. There's a picture just to give us an image here of trees that are uh, by streams of water. Lots of trees here by this stream of water. And you think about trees... Uh, trees have deep roots, roots that go deep down into the ground. Like trees like this, their roots go down deep, which makes them what? Sturdy, stable. And therefore, what do they have? Well, they have the capacity to withstand storms. Using the same metaphor, Jeremiah, he says this, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed, and he will be like a tree planted by water, it sends its roots out towards a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. I love those statements. It doesn't fear when heat comes. It will not worry in a year of drought. When there, there, there is nothing, when there is no water. It will not worry. It will not fear. Why? Why will it not worry? Why will it not fear? Because they are stable and sturdy, and they're stable and sturdy because they're constantly getting what they need, constantly fed and nourished by the streams of water, God's word. See, the person who meditates on God's word becomes someone who is strong and sturdy, able to weather the storms of life. 
Those who have God's word dwelling in them, stored inside of them, are prepared and equipped to face the heat of life. And there will be heat, as we know, even just unfortunately this past week. But there's all kinds of tragedies and difficulties that we are going to experience in our life. And you notice that this is contrasted to verse 4 in the way of the wicked. And notice how the psalmist describes the wicked here. The wicked are not like this. They're not like this tree. Instead, they're like chaff. And here's a picture of some chaff. It's just this kind of the, the, out, the outsides of, of whatever, like wheat or different parts of, of flowers or plants. And it's just this kind of loose stuff. And what happens when the wind comes or when the storms come? Well, the wind blows it away, verse 4 says. They're like chaff. The wind blows away. They're not sturdy, not stable. They just get thrown away by the storms. What happens as we become people of God's word, as we dwell and sit in the word of God, it positions us to be people who are sturdy and stable, able to weather the storms of life. And so not only does this picture of a tree speak to stability, but also to another element, which is fruitfulness. So the fourth benefit of meditating in God's word is we are positioned to be fruitful, positioned for fruitfulness. Verse 3 again, this tree beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. What happens to a tree that's planted near the streams of water? It produces fruit. In the right season, it produces fruit. So what happens to the person who delights in and meditates on the word of God? Well, likewise, you will produce fruit. That if you're rooted in God's word, then you will produce the fruit that is consistent with God's word. That you will grow up and mature. First Peter chapter two, Peter connects the same idea. He says, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. How do you grow up and produce fruit? It's through God's word. He pictures the, the infant who is yearning for milk. How does the infant grow? Where's the nourishment from? From the milk. And so likewise, the word of God is to our life. That as you dwell in and meditate on the word of God, you position yourself to bear fruit. The fruit of what? Well, what's the fruit? Well, the fruit of Christ, right? Attitudes, right? Actions, doing good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And I think one thing in particular, more specifically, is a greater prayer life. Do you want to grow in prayer? One way to help you grow in your prayer life is through meditating on the Word of God. Uh, the Puritans uh, connected this idea. In fact, Donald Whitney uh, records uh, several well-known Puritans speaking of meditation, and they describe it as the missing link between Bible intake, that's hearing from God and reading on his word, meditating on his word, and prayer, which is speaking back to God. Here are a couple quotes to uh, illustrate that point. Uh, William Bridge says, begin with reading or hearing, go on with meditation, end in prayer. Thomas Manton says, the word feedeth meditation, Meditation feedeth prayer. Meditation must follow hearing and precede prayer. What we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. Uh, David Mathis, who is not a Puritan, uh, wrote a book called Habits of Grace, describes meditation like this. Meditation bridges the gap between hearing from God and speaking to him. In meditation, we pause and reflect over his words, which have, we have heard, read, heard, or studied. 
We roll them over in our minds and let them ignite our hearts. We warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. We go deep in God's revelation and take into our very souls. As we, and as we are being changed by his truth, we respond to him in prayer. And I found this to be quite true, quite accurate. As I'm really steeping in, meditating on God's word, I find myself, as I'm thinking about the word of God, beginning to pray about the word of God to God. As I'm sitting there reading a passage, God, help me to be more like this. Uh, 1 John 5, where he says his commands are not a burden. God, help me to see your commands not as a burden, but what has given me life. God, thank you for the fact that through your word I have been given life. That God's word, what it does is we sit in it, as we dwell on it, is it positions us to speak back to God or to pray. That if you want to have a, a, a more, more or a greater prayer life, grow in your prayer and the discipline of prayer, then meditate on the word of God. We can't help that as we take in God's truth, in God's word, that there's a proper response of praising and praying to God. That, that, that's part of the fruit of meditation is that we're realizing who God is, what he has done for us, and we speak back to God, praising God, thanking God, or asking God, God, help me to be more this way, whatever it might be, that fruit will be produced. Now, here's an important thing to think about when it comes to fruit, an important reality, is that a tree doesn't bear fruit for itself, but for others. That a tree does not bear fruit for itself. When you think about a tree, an apple tree, it's not bearing apples for itself, per se, but for the benefit of others. For us, you eat the fruit, and it benefits you, which means your life, your life will become a greater blessing to those around you. That as you sit in God's word, you become more aware of others around you, more aware of their needs, more uh, in tune with what uh, is best for them, thinking how can I love and serve and bless those around me. You will do good works, and those good works will bless other people, family, friends, coworkers, whoever it might be, that your life will become more of a blessing to those who are around you. And so we will bear fruit as we dwell in the word of God. Number five, the final benefit of med meditation on God's word is life. Just this idea of life. Remember the author contrasting the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. Verse three, what's the result? He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams, bears its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. This overall picture of life, of vitality, of prosperity of protection from the fate of the wicked. Because here's the fate of the wicked, verse four. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment. They won't stand in judgment against God, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked comes to what? It leads to ruin. See, what God's word leads to is life. Vitality, prosperity, the psalmist in Psalm 119, he writes, I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. You've given me life through them. That life is found in God's word. And by life, part of that, what that is, is eternal life, intimacy with God, relationship with God. In fact, verse six says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That word watches over is often translated knows, which in context is a reference to personal intimacy and involvement. 
that God has personal intimacy and involvement with the righteous. The righteous one, the one who centers his life on God's word, this is the person who has life or relationship with God. The outcome of the righteous is life, not death. Why? Well, because through God's word, you are connected to the one who gives life, Christ. There's life, there's relationship with the one who has made us and created us in God's word. Now, in closing, how do we meditate on God's word? How do we do this? Because for some of you, you might be meditating. What, what, what does that look like? I'm going to give you four uh, just elements to what I do when it comes to meditating on God's word. And I want to give you just first a, a simple definition that helps describe kind of the, the goal. Tim Keller, he describes meditation. He's summarizing John Owen, and it's in his book here on prayer. And he says, meditation is thinking a truth out and, thinking, and then thinking a truth in until it becomes, its ideas become big and sweet, moving and affecting, and until the reality of God is sensed upon our heart. This idea of delight, that we want to, meditation is the goal is to see God's word is, is big and sweet, that it moves us. You feel something. The relationship with God is not simply about just kind of obeying, doing the next right thing, but there's this emotional component, this feeling, this sensing, this delighting, this affection for God. That's what meditation is to drive us to. That's the, the goal, if you will. So how do you do that? How do you get there through meditating? Well, there's four elements I want to give you. One is focus. Focus. Uh, Psalm 119, I will meditate on your precepts. Think about your ways. This word think is stronger than just kind of think. It's fix. Focus on your ways. Fix my eyes on your word. The idea then to meditate requires you to find a place where you can focus. There are so many distractions, right? So many things pulling for our attention. That what you need to do in order to focus on the word of God is find a place where you can limit distractions. I don't know where that is for you. Um, you know, it's cold right now, so outside might not be the place. But in the warmth, in the summer, outside somewhere. Maybe it's in your basement, in your room. Maybe it's going somewhere else. You find a place where you can limit distractions. Maybe it's silencing your phone, you know, turning off notifications or turning your phone off all the way for, if it's 20 minutes, turn it off so you can focus. And for me, what happens and what's helpful is to get up early. The best time for me to be focused is early in the day. Otherwise, I get distracted. I get going with other things that I have to do. And it's harder for me just to sit down and to meditate, to focus on God's word. And so for you, that may mean getting up early, which means maybe you need to get to bed early. See, this is a spiritual discipline. It requires effort. It requires work, just like any discipline in life. So what is it that you need to do to focus on God's word? You know, get your cup of coffee, your tea, whatever it might be, and sit and focus. Think about God's ways. Second is pray. Pray. The psalmist, Psalm 119, connecting with meditation, he prays. He says in verse 18, Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. Verse 27, Help me understand the meaning of your precepts so I can meditate on your wonders. I love this. He's asking God, God, help me. And what we need to do is we're seeking the Lord as we're spending time with the Lord, meditating on God's word, is ask God, God, help me to do this. Help me to be focused and help me to contemplate the wondrous things that you've done. 
Open up my eyes so I can see clearly what you have done for me. Help me understand what your word is saying that I might know you more. Pray. Ask God to help you. Third, read. Focus, pray, read. Reading is not the same as meditation. Now, I ask myself this question a lot. I'm like, did I spend time with the Lord today? Did I spend time with the Lord today? And oftentimes, it's easy to say, yes, I read the Bible. But then when I think about it, I'm like, but reading, it's easy just to read something and just not really engage with it. And many of us, I think we can read our Bibles, but do we really engage with it? Do we really engage with the Lord? And I think meditation, it drives us deeper. That reading is not the same as meditating. Uh, Scott Hubbard, he says this, if Bible reading brings us beneath the stars, meditation puts our eye on the telescope and bids us to study Orion or Cyrus. It, this idea is that it, it helps us to focus in on even more. But reading needs to happen in order to meditate. And so you start by reading through a passage. Maybe it's Psalm chapter one. And as you read through a passage, you stop when a particular truth stands out to you. Maybe in the middle of the passage, maybe the end of the passage, maybe right in the beginning. Say in Psalm chapter one, it's verse three. He's like a tree planted besides flowing streams, bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And so that verse stands out to me. Now what? Well, you pause and ponder is the last part. Pause and ponder. You think the truth out, as Keller says. You think it out. And there's three things that help me do that personally. It's rereading, writing, and speaking. It's rereading the passage. I just reread. If it's a psalm like this, maybe I reread the whole psalm. Or I reread the verse, and I write the verse. Now, I don't write it because I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to maybe go back and look. I don't know. I don't, half the time I don't look at anything I wrote down. Like, I just... It's for that moment in time. I'm trying to think and meditate and draw out what's true in God's word. And so I write down the verse and I write down observations and I write down questions and I write down prayers. I write. And it's not because I'm a good writer. I'm not a good writer. <clears throat> but it helps me to focus and it helps me to draw out what is true. And sometimes I might look up something, okay, in commentary briefly, but I'm trying to stay focused in on that, uh, that passage, that verse, and I speak. You know, part of meditation is speaking. In fact, the, the word meditation carries with it the idea of speech. And many translators translate meditate as utter or tell or mutter. And what I do with the truth of God's word is I speak it. I speak the verse out loud. I preach that truth to myself. God, you promise that I will be like a tree that bears fruit in season, that my leaf does not wither, that I will endure whatever comes at me in life. You promise that I will prosper that I, that I will be fruitful, that I will <clears throat> live a life that is ultimately honoring and pleasing to you. And I pray that, God, help me to be that way. God, that thank you by your grace, I can be that. That because of Christ saving me, redeeming me, your spirit living in me, that I can walk in that truth and that reality. And I sit there and I do this, I, I read and I write and I speak, I pray until my soul is warmed, delighted, with the Lord, that praise is coming out of my mouth. You feel that change in your own soul. <clears throat> that many of us, we, we start with God's word and it feels like a burden and we're just kind of cold to it. But as you sit in God's word, there's a, there's a change that happens. There's a feeling, there's a warmth, there's a delight, a desire for God. And that's my hope, our hope.
is that we'd have a greater delight in the Lord, a greater yearning and desire for him. And one way that will happen is through meditation, through sitting and dwelling on the word of God. So you can do what you want with the challenge. You can, you can change the time or whatever you want. But I would encourage you this year, make it a point to meditate on God's word, to spend significant time thinking on, dwelling on the word of God. There are so many benefits and blessings, not only to your own life, but to the life of those around you. Let's pray. Father.